um, let's go ahead and get at it. We're switching to uh, 2 Corinthians here for the next, however, foreseeable future. It's going to take us a couple of months, a couple, three months maybe to get through this. Uh, don't forget, we're halfway through the book of Psalms on Wednesday nights. But Psalms is such a long book that I figured I would be merciful on you and give you a little bit of a break for a little while. So I've enjoyed going through the Psalms. I'm actually looking forward to getting back to them. But a little bit of a change of pace. Uh, I was telling a friend of mine just today, he's also a preacher, and we were talking. I said, you know, uh, it's like, it, I love ribeye. I love ribeye. I like it with fat on it, a lot of fat on it. The fat's the best part. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, but if you feed me ribeye every single day of the week, I'm going to get to where I just don't want to see ribeye anymore. You understand what I'm saying? So spiritually, I don't want you to be like, well, Psalms is a blessing, but I just can't take any more Psalms, right? Uh, and I know we're supposed to be super spiritual and never feel that way, but uh, reality sometimes is a little different than uh, what we would hope it is. So uh, I think Second Corinthians is going to be a big blessing to you, and I've been praying that it would be. The effort you put in, I was thinking about this today, the effort you guys put in to be here, uh, to come on a Wednesday night, uh, that means a lot to me as a pastor personally, but I'm sure it also means a lot to God. And I want to make sure that when you get here, you're happy that you came and uh, whether your flesh likes it or not, or your mind is like, man, I really want to stay home, I want to make sure that your spirit gets something from God that will help you throughout your week and uh, be a blessing to you. So I, I'm, I'm committed and trying to do my best and praying and asking God personally. Uh, I'm asking God to grow me as a preacher, make me better, and, uh, and so that you can get better food. Amen? So you pray for me the same way, if you would, please. You must have been praying for me this week or a specific prayer request that I had. Uh, I'll probably share it with you a little later, but God answered pretty quick, and uh, it was a real blessing, so I'll share that with you at some point here. But uh, let's go ahead and get in here to the book of Second Corinthians. Before we start, um, I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction to the book, and then we'll start into it verse by verse. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you this evening, and I thank you so much, Lord, for our church family. We thank you for giving Ramona a good day today, and I pray that you'd bless her father. I pray that you'd bless the treatments. I ask you to please help the chemo to do the job that it's supposed to do. I pray that while we're praying right now that those cancer tumors would be actively shrinking and that, God, you would just raise her up through this whole thing, that you'd give her the grace that she needs because she's not going to have a lot of peace. We know that. But you ask you to give her the grace she needs to get through this situation. And I pray that uh, you'd give Dave the grace he needs as well, and that you'd heal them, heal her up and get her through this, Lord. And I pray, Father, for the rest of us that are here tonight, for those that uh, can't be with us um, or that aren't with us, we ask you to help them as well. Father, we love our church and we thank you for it. Thank you for all you're doing. We ask you to continue to help people, continue to reach people, help us to reach people. Thank you for the growth we've seen. But, Father, help us to not just be growing numerically, God. We want to be growing spiritually, be uh, exactly what you want us to be. So I pray tonight as we get into your words, uh, that you'd be with my mind, that you'd be with my mouth, that you'd guide me and direct me as we go through these verses, Father, and that you'd make this study through Second Corinthians a blessing to your people and a help to them. Uh, I pray that it would strengthen and establish them and, and give them some answers to questions in life and draw them closer to the Lord Jesus Christ through it. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, second, First Corinthians, as you know, dealt with some things that were going on in the church, right? And there was a lot of stuff going on in the church. It was a pretty wicked church regarding the sin that was uh, taking place in them. We went through that. 
2 Corinthians takes a completely different approach. I mean, the gears just switch completely from 1 Corinthians. And the interesting thing is, uh, there's probably like six months to a year between the two books. It's not a whole lot of time has passed when Paul begins to write 2 Corinthians. So the church at Corinth had really gotten right with Jesus Christ. They'd really turned things around, and they'd already proven that. And Paul's writing this second letter, and it's, a, it's like I said, it's a very large switch. He goes from dealing with what's going on in the church to dealing with conditions in the ministry. Now, you don't have to be called to preach to get a blessing out of 2 Corinthians. But for somebody who is, and I'm not going to teach it from that perspective, okay? For, but, but for somebody who is, 2 Corinthians would line up with like First and 2 Timothy and Titus. So it's one of those books that's really a very important book for a preacher. That being said, if you're a Christian that's committed to the ministry, and you are, right? I mean, you're here on a Wednesday night, you're pretty committed to church. This book will help you tremendously because it shows you the reality of the ministry. I'm sorry for this. You got to, you got to, you know, forgive me for it here. But Mike Tyson, (laughs) he had this famous quote, and it's a really good quote. His quote was this, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Uh, he said that specifically to a certain reporter, and, and the reporter was like pretty interested in that response. And so years later, a different reporter comes to Mike Tyson and says, you know what, that was a pretty great comment. What that reporter said is, what I like so much about the quote is that it has applications that stretch far beyond boxing. It really has meaning in every area of life, whether the, the punch comes from a health issue or losing your job or making a bad investment or a traffic jam or whatever. It's how you react to the adversity that defines you, not the adversity itself. It's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, Mike's response was exactly. If you're good and your plan is working somewhere during the duration of that, the outcome of the event you're involved in you're going to get the wrath. You're going to get the bad end of the deal. Let's see how you deal with it. Normally, people don't deal very well with it. You know what that said? He said, listen, now applying that to this, because it really is very much like in tune with 2 Corinthians. You're trying to do right. You got a good plan, right? You first get saved, you're excited, you're in church, you find a Bible-believing church for the first time and you haven't been in one, or you know, you just say, listen, I've been in church a long time, but this is where God's brought me, this is a great church, the circumstances of my life worked out where God brought me to this point. Isn't that kind of what happened when you got saved? God was working in your life? I mean, you came to a point where somehow or another you met somebody, your circumstances fell out, and they ask you, you know, hey, do you know where you're going when you die? And it's like, it's like when somebody's truly under conviction, when God's brought them to that point, it's, it's like they know it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you remember that? Like nobody's pulling any wool over your eyes. Something down deep inside of you, you're like, yeah, this is it. And you start asking questions. No, I don't know. I love witnessing to people. I like seeing God set it up. I like watching them get saved. Ain't that a great thing? Yeah. You know what else is great? Is the excitement you see in somebody once they get saved. I love to see that early Christian, that new, like we were talking about Sunday night, that, that early zeal and that excitement, that love for Jesus Christ. Uh, most all of you, I'm pretty sure, are saved, but in case somebody's in here that ain't, man, you don't even know what life is about until you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Until you can say, I am 100% sure that if I drop dead right now, I'm going to heaven. 
That is the greatest thing you can ever know, that your sins are forgiven to you. I mean, that's a phenomenal feeling. Don't you remember when you got saved? And how excited you were about it? What happened? Reality. Life. I've seen it so many times when people come to the church over the years. It's like, oh, this is the greatest church in the world. And this is just, this is what we need. This is what we want. And, you know, without saying it, it's, it's implied like you're so much better than the last preacher because he was this and he was that. And I'm thinking like, okay, that's great. Let's give it a little time. I appreciate that you're excited. I appreciate that you love it. What are you going to do when you get punched in the face? What are you going to do when adversity hits you? How committed are you going to be when you don't love it as much anymore, when your little feelings got hurt or your little baby brat's feelings got hurt or somebody asked something of you that you don't want to do? What are you going to do then? We're going to find out whether or not you're really committed, aren't we? You know what the Apostle Paul does with the book of 2 Corinthians? He dumps on you the reality of the ministry. I'll never forget years ago when the preachers, uh, I think he's in heaven now, but he, he had said, referring to me, and, and somebody, said, somebody, somebody said he said it, and they told me that he said it. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't even know whether he even really said it. Actually, I give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't. But I was told it, and so here's the story as I was told it, and here's how it impacted me at the time. He said, yeah, well, Reagan's had seen a lot of people saved over there because he's not telling them how hard the Christian life is once they get saved. So you know what I started doing? I was, I was like, well, you know, really? I was kind of offended by it. I started doing my gut check. So you know what I started doing? I really tried this. I told people when they're like, you know, I don't know where I'm going when I die. I really need, I need God. I need help. I need, and you get to witnessing to them, and it's kind of going the right direction. They're responding to the truth, and you're showing them the verses. I tell them, now listen, once you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the world's against you, the devil's against you, and your flesh is against you. It ain't easy being a Christian. You still want to get saved? And I had people still getting saved. I was telling them before they got saved it was going to be tough. They're still trusting Christ as their Savior. Hey, listen. There is, the reality of it is there's adversity in the Christian life. The reality of it is it doesn't always, you're not always going to be happy. When you get punched in the face, then we figure out exactly what you're really about. So... Here, Paul, in this book, begins to explain to them the reality of serving God, the reality of the ministry. And what I like about Paul's approach is he doesn't, he doesn't kind of like whitewash anything. He doesn't make it look better than it is. He tells us exactly the truth of exactly how difficult it is. And yet, at the same time, Paul seems to be pretty fired up about the ministry. I've seen a lot of people come and go, like I said already. And I get tired of it. It's a heartbreak to me to watch them come in here, get all fired up about the church, and then before long, they're, they're just jacked out of the frame and out in left field somewhere. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to realize that the Christian life is not easy, and this book shows you that. But I want you to prepare before it happens what you're going to do when it does happen. And the Apostle Paul gives them a real look. I think this is even more of a difficult thing in the day and age that you and I live in. You know why? Because our minds, especially the younger generation, their minds are being programmed to something, excuse me for being a broken record, that is not real. Everything you're looking at is fake. 
I mean, I, I, I'm listening to, to some guys talk about a certain subject that I'm interested in, right? And they, they're famous, they're very well known. And the funny thing was that they're around my age, mid-40s or so. And the interesting thing is, the one guy said, look at that picture of you. The other guy said, that's not me. He said, yes, it is, that's you. He said, no, that's not me. He said, look at that guy in that picture. I don't look that good. <laughs> he, he was looking at a picture of himself saying, I don't know who doctored that picture of me, but that's not me. These guys are like bluntly honest. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the world you're living in. You're not seeing reality. People can even change your your live streaming, your FaceTime, whatever. If they got the right set, they can even change the settings on the phone so that while they're live streaming with you, the reality of what they look like is not what you're actually seeing. Listen, when it comes to ministry, the same thing is true. Preachers have the same a problem with it too. Nobody gets up on their on their church Facebook page and says, gives a screenshot of the pews on an empty Sunday. Don't know where everybody was today. Really discouraging. Right? They don't present their ministry that way on the internet or on Facebook or on social media. Nobody gets up and says, listen, some crazy ladies in the church just jumped all over my wife saying she's not sweet enough or saying she did this or that wrong or saying she's in the background manipulating me and trying to... All the stuff that happens that every preacher's heard, nobody gets on the internet and posts that for the world to see. It's always, you know, they put the camera at the right angle and try to make it look as good as it can look. That's not reality of church. That's not reality of your personal life. Nobody's showing that stuff. So I want to remind you of that, that our brains are programmed to think certain things about, well, when you get saved, all your problems were gone. No, all your sin was washed away, and you have an eternity in heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But all your problems are not gone just because you got saved. I'm finally in a good church. That's great. I agree with everything. I like the way they do things. That's wonderful, but problems are coming. And God has a purpose in all of the problems. And Paul shows us that in 2 Corinthians. Now let's start in verse number 1. Paul, the an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, which are in all Achaia. What Paul does right as he begins, is he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Right out of the gate, Paul gives his authority for why he's writing, why he's preaching, and what he has to say to them. He had to give his authority because, believe it or not, people in the Corinthian church had begun doubting Paul's authority as an apostle, which is an absolutely insane thing. It is literally like, you know, Pastor Reagan started the church in a, in a living room, right, with 11 people, and then the Lord's blessed and faithfulness, and we've been through some hard times and ups and downs, and we bounced back, and it would literally be like a portion of the church, not all the church at Corinth, but a portion of the church just starts saying, well, we don't even really know if he's actually called to preach. Excuse me? Like, are you kidding me right now? I've been here how long? That, that's literally what some of the people in Corinth were doing to Paul. We'll see it as we go through the book. They're doubting his apostleship. This, some people had come in and begun to undermine the apostle Paul. So after he preached to them in 1 Corinthians, rebuked them for their sin, they got their sin right. Now Paul is in a position, by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, where he's thinking, great, we got that problem taken care of and fixed up. You know, the fornication in the church, the church is much more sanctified. It's a much better place to be. Praise the Lord, I'm glad that was settled. Not even a year later, he's worrying about false doctrine coming in and some of the people biting at the false doctrine. 
It's like, are you joking? We got one problem settled, and this problem, which is actually, in a lot of ways, a much more insidious problem, false doctrine coming into the church, and then them trying to undermine his leadership in the church. Paul comes right out the gate in this book, and he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Listen, it is God who appoints positions in the church, period, the end of the story. Paul said, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? Right? Nowadays, these guys are calling themselves apostles, like we're talking about in Revelation, and they are not, and we found them to be a liar. You ain't an apostle, and I'm not an apostle. We have the apostles right here, and that's the foundation that we're built upon, and we read what they have to say, and they're still a gift to the church, but you're not an apostle. Don't come tell me you saw a 900-foot Jesus or whatever in some kind of a dream or something and think I'm going to bite at that as sound doctrine. That's not sound doctrine. That's some dude on a trip. But that's not sound doctrine. Paul was an apostle. He had seen the Lord. So he has to assert his authority in that position. Listen, I'm not one of these guys that like beats my chest about pastoral authority. I, I, I just don't. How often have you even heard me preach on that? Right? But there is spiritual authority in the church. It's just that simple. Like my preacher said to me, I heard him say to the whole church, large church, I think 400 people or something like that back then. He said, I'm not here to run the church. I'm here to make sure you don't. (laughs) Amen. There is spiritual oversight. And God is the one that puts that there. But the devil came in and started trying to undermine that to get those people away from Paul to stop listening to him so they could bring in their false teachers. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's insane that he would have to even be dealing with this problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 1. Paul says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? You see it? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. They knew he was an apostle. They were fruit of his ministry. They had been ministered to by Paul, led to Jesus Christ by Paul. There was no doubt about his apostleship, and yet still people in the church are beginning to doubt that. And Paul has to defend that position. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So it's an absolutely insane thing. You know, you got to be careful when it comes to this, but let me say this, and then I'm going to qualify it, okay? When God's people hear a man preach, and God's people say, that was a blessing, that is confirmation of the man's call to preach. Does that make sense? That's the Spirit of God in them saying, okay, yes, God spoke to my heart. God got into my personal business. I think, it was, I think there was three or four different people Sunday morning that came and said, and came to me and Grace even, and said, a couple of them told both of us, like, we were talking about that on the way here. And somebody else like, man, that was going on in my, I mean, how could, how could, a, how could a human being possibly get that sharp to be able to get in everybody's personal business when they're in completely different backgrounds, live in completely different parts of the area, totally different jobs, different circles they run in throughout their week? A man can't do that. That has to be God. So when people sit down and say, I'm getting fed, I'm growing, my life is changing, I'm learning my Bible, that is a confirmation of his call to preach. 
Does that make sense? I never say judge your call to preach on people's response. You better know you're called to preach between you and God, whether they hear or whether they forbear. I mean, whether they come to the altar or throw stinking rocks at you, it doesn't matter. They might try to shoot you and cut your throat. That might even be more proof you're called to preach. (laughs) But a confirmation of that call is when saved people that are looking for truth say that was a blessing or that was convicting. But what you have going on here is you've got the opposite. You got people that are getting backslidden that are saying, why do we don't know if you're called or not? Do you know that also is a confirmation of my call? Because if you're resisting God and you don't like me, if you don't like God and you don't like preaching and you don't like the Bible and you're saying, I don't even think he's a preacher. That also confirms my call. You see the difference? Paul's definitely called to God to preach. And it's by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. So Paul's got a mentee that's following him around. Paul's the mentor. And Timothy's with Paul. And Paul keeps putting a plug in there for Timothy because Paul knows what God's doing in Timothy's life. And he's, and he's saying, and Timothy, our brother. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth. Notice that. They say, you know, the church is universal. The, the universal church crowd. They don't believe in a local church. So they come into churches like this. And we've had them come in here before. And they start saying, well, you shouldn't be meeting in a building. Churches should be in houses. Didn't you read the book of Acts? There's local churches, they meet in houses. And and every man is the pastor of his home, you know, and that kind of... They start, like, undermining a local church. They believe in the universal church, but they don't believe there should be local churches where people come and gather. And they, like I said already, they've come here, and I I run them out. (laughs) You know what they'll do? They'll tell you, you shouldn't come sit here and listen to me preach, but they will then turn around and invite you to come sit and listen to them in their living room. You little dirty snake. How many missionaries you guys supporting out of your living room? How many souls you seeing saved? How many you discipling? You snake, you little dirty dog. I know some of them guys, and I, I, I don't have time to chase it down, but I know some of them guys, one particular guy got a bunch of people out of a good church to come meeting in his home. And then he turns into a Jew. And then he goes from that. I mean, like, he thinks he's a Jew. Like, he's a little mentally ill. I'm sure he's mentally ill. But anyways, you better watch out for that stuff. It's dangerous stuff. So notice this church. He says, unto the church of God, do you believe in the universal church? I do. I think the church of God is anybody that's born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're saved and you live in Iraq... You live in Kenya, you live in Haiti, and you're born again. You and I are both in the church. I believe in the universal church, but I also believe in something else. The Bible teaches it. The church of God, which is at Corinth, that's a local church. So are you universal or local church? Yep. (laughs) Which is more important? Both. They're the same thing. So we're a local church. I believe in that. The church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia, so that's the region that Corinth is in. So you got kind of like a, maybe a way to illustrate it would be a city and then a township or a county, right? Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting to note, and I've showed you this before, but you've got to understand, I mean, you've got to understand this. Every word of that book is perfect. And the order in which the words come are there because God is God and he wants you to get a message. 
Notice grace be unto you and peace. Grace always comes before peace. A wise Christian learns when to ask God for which. If you're in the middle of a major health crisis, don't, don't tell me you're, you got, that you got peace. I just have peace. I have overwhelming peace. Like, if, if you're vomiting and you can't sleep all night and your body is racked in pain, yeah, you can have a spiritual peace of God in your heart. I get that. But sometimes you can't have peace. I mean, listen... I know some people are going to pick at what I'm saying. And I don't mean to be rude or belittling. But if you pick at what I'm saying, you haven't been around. You haven't dealt with enough people. You haven't seen enough pain. So I would just kind of like keep your little thoughts to yourself and ask God if this is truth or not. Because you don't want God to give you a taste of it, so you figure it out. Some people are right with God, and they're doing everything the right way, and they're trying to walk with God, and they get problems dumped in their lap, and those problems do not allow them to have peace. And if it's somebody you love, come talk to me about being so spiritual that you got all this peace. You ever had it so bad you can't pray and you want to? You desperately want to? You're not full of sin? You're not running from God. You're not doping and all the rest of that stuff. You're not fornicating. You're not committing adultery. You're trying to walk with God and you got it so bad that you can't pray. You want to pray. You're trying to pray, but you can't pray. You realize people are human, right? And that there's a nervous system in their body. And that when extreme things happen to them, it can mess up their nervous system and make them really have, they have a hard time even thinking straight. Sometimes what you are not going to get or what you need more than peace is you need grace. It, it, it's, it's a gift from God to get you through the situation so that you can ride out that storm and then the peace comes later. So learn when to ask for what. I've had to ask God a time or two in my life, give me the grace to deal with this. God, give me the grace. Most of the time when you're asking for grace, it's because you ain't got no peace. And you don't see how it's even possible to have peace. You understand what I'm saying? You're like, God, give me the grace. Grace comes before peace. And they both come from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So the main theme of the book of 2 Corinthians is going to be affliction. It's going to be the reality of the ministry. But there's an underlying theme that goes right along with it throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. And that underlying theme is comfort. Isn't that wild? Now we're going to get into that and we're going to talk a lot about comfort as we go through here. But notice something about God in verse 3 first. He says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, God has a son. And his son's name is Jesus Christ. And that's really not that hard to believe. It's much easier to believe that than it is to believe a Big Bang. That's what they make fun of you for. You've heard me through this argument again. Just bear with me for a minute. I know what I'm doing. They make fun of you for having faith in some virgin birth. God becoming man. 
Well, like I've said before, that's only 50% of a miracle. He was conceived in the womb of a virgin. Babies are conceived in ladies' wombs all the time. You were. <laughs> there's billions of them on the planet. There's, that's not, I mean, it's a miracle in and of itself, but there's no miracle in that, right? That's normal to us. It's just the fact that a, a virgin conceived. And she had a son. And he was perfect. Because God in heaven was his father. He took your place. He did what you can't do. He lived the perfect life without ever sinning one time. Ain't that wild? He went from birth to death and never sinned. Notice something else about him. He's a father of mercies. That to me blows my mind. It, it, it blows my mind that God Almighty can have mercy on me because it's my sin that slaughtered, literally slaughtered his son. That's what killed him. It's your, your sin. He died for you. And on top of that, on top of us being the enemy, he looks down at us and sees us in our plight and has mercy on our soul. Isn't that wild? And then on top of that, he gives comfort. He's the God of all comfort. It's pretty wild that he would love me. Listen, if you killed my kid purposefully, brutally, <laughs> I, I ain't loving you. I ain't showing you mercy. You get that, right? This, this stupid question, you know, if you, if you had to save 300 people or your child, what would you do? <laughs> that, that is like the dumbest, like, I don't know what kind of like psychology game you're trying to play or like the philosophy of this or whatever you're doing, but like that is the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I know exactly what I would do. <laughs> if it was your wife or 300 people, my wife, dummy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not even think about it. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not God. He gave his son for a whole bunch of wicked people, knowing the vast majority of them were going to reject Jesus Christ as their Savior and go to hell anyways. What a God. And then he gives comfort. Do you know why lost people can't find comfort? Because they don't know the God that gives it. They ain't no comfort in this world. The sin of this world, the hardships of this world, the disappointments of this world. The longer you live, the more you figure out it ain't what you thought it was. I'm sorry I, I repeat myself so much, but I really think you need to get this in your head. I can't wait to graduate and get a job. <laughs> okay. Ain't what you thought it was. Can't wait to get married. Okay. <laughs> ain't what you thought it was. Can't wait to have a baby. <laughs> okay. Hey, marriage is great. I'm very happily married. I mean that. And I absolutely love my kids. I can't imagine my life without them. All the jokes about them, you know, don't want my kids living at home when they're 30 or 40. Well, the closer they get to moving, the more we kind of think about bumping the age back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we love our kids. But it ain't what you thought it was. I just love this church. It ain't what you think it is. Give it five years. You know Why? We're all sinners. <laughs> and life's tough. And you know what you need? You need a comforter in it. 
You need somebody that knows how to reach down, way down deep there in the middle of your psyche, down deep in your mind, down deep into your heart, that balm of Gilead to show up and just give you some medication that only God can give. My heart breaks for lost people that don't know Christ as their Savior. Not only the where am I going when I die, but the guilt of sin and all the rest of that. And then just missing out on the peace of having a relationship with the one that created you. I explained it to somebody recently because he asked me, he said, why do I feel so empty inside? I said, I know exactly why. He said, why do I feel dead inside? I said, because Jesus Christ is life. And he came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And until you figure out who Jesus Christ is and the one that created you, the God that created you, the God that gave you life, until you figure out who he is, you're never going to find what you're looking for in this world. He's a God of comfort. Ain't you, ain't you thankful for that? Now look at verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation. How honest. You know what he's saying? You're going to have nothing but trouble. All our tribulation. He didn't say, you know, our occasional problems. <laughs> he said, man, we got it bad. And what God does is he comforts us in it. I don't think there's a more pertinent message for Christians today than this one. This world is in a, is in a terror and more and more they're talking about, you know, the, the, the apocalypse and Armageddon and all the rest of this stupid stuff. You know, Russia's preparing for the apocalypse or whatever. They're stupid, man. They don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but scripturally speaking, they're just, they're just making this stuff up. They're grabbing biblical words and completely misapplying them by a minimum of a thousand seven years. You know what I'm saying? They're, like, they're, just, they're just out there. They're just crazy. It's Gog and Magog. Like, oh, shut up. You don't even know what you're talking about. But it is getting bad, ain't it? So much so that lost people are now using biblical words for their fear of what's coming. Now, on top of that, the liberals and their agenda and their brainwashing and the kids that have been trained this stuff for years. I mean, generations are gone. The generations are gone. Think about the boomers. Think about your parents. They used to balance what's called a checkbook. You ever hear about that? You like a ledger? Yeah. They used to actually have a landline where you pick up a phone and you go like this and you talk on it and you can only go as far as the cord will let you go. So if you really want to walk around the house, you get a longer cord. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? It was crazy. It was a weird world they lived in. They used to actually sew clothes. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> They were like the last of the people in this country that had any amount of God or Bible-ish kind of touch and affect their life to some extent. And now we're how many generations past that? What are we in? Like the, our kids are like what the third, third generation or second, third generation past that? You're in, you're in post-Christian America, and they're turning you into the adversary. You know what you're going to have if you get involved in a church like this and stay involved. You grow up in a church like this and you take a stand for the Bible and biblical principles and against sin, as the Bible names it. I don't care how loving and how gentle and how compassionate your stand, you are going to be the enemy. Public enemy number one. We need a comfort. Who comforted us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And now you got it. Look at, look, at, look at that. God comforts you in your problems, in your tribulation, 
For what purpose? So that you can comfort somebody else in their trouble. You see that? Do you know what God does with your problems? He not only makes himself more real and personal to you, you get to know God in a way you wouldn't have known without your problems. Not only does he make himself more real and more personal to you, but then he develops in you an understanding of him and of how he works in such a way that when you run into somebody else who has problems, you know how to minister to them where they're at. I used to make fun of people that had the anxiety issues, you know. I just was younger and I just didn't understand. I just, I always prided myself in having a tough mind. Just, just being mentally tough. Until I was probably about 38 years old. I remember I got up about 3 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I went into the front living room. I pulled the piano bench up. I got my Bible out. I was getting ready to try to start studying. And for whatever reason, out of the blue, the room just started closing in on me, man. I've never had anything like that in my life. I was like starting to breathe, like, I can't breathe, man. I'm going to choke. I remember I got up, walked outside, out the front door in the middle of the night. I looked up and the sky said, please, God, what is going on? Breathe real deep. Never had an anxiety attack in my life. You know what happened? That moment the Holy Spirit brought back to my mind that person I'd been making fun of. I walked back in that living room. I knelt down at that couch and I asked God to forgive me. And told him, please don't give me that. Please don't give me, I don't want that problem. Because that's scary. Please. And then I started praying for that person regularly. You know what the problem with some Christians is? They think they've had problems, but they haven't. So they're bitter. We all have problems. You know what I want to be? I want to be a comfort to people that are troubled. I want to be a comfort to people that are hurting. And you understand it's a spiritual thing to comfort people? The people that think they know what to say are the people that need to just shut their mouth and walk away. You've you got to hurt a little bit to know what it feels like to hurt and to care about somebody that's hurting. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So the more problems you have as you're trying to serve the Lord, whether it be the world, the flesh, or the devil, it's the sufferings of Christ. And as they get worse, as they abound, guess what else abounds? His consolation. You see, it's like that, sorry for referring to him, but that filthy guy Mike Tyson that needs Jesus Christ real bad. It's like he said, you know, you got your whole game plan put together, but how are you going to bounce back once it happens? It's your reaction or your response to what happens that determines where you wind up going in your life. We're all going to, in the world, ye shall have tribulations. Right? Why is there problems in church? Why is it since I got saved and started serving the Lord, I got all these problems? It seems like every time I decide I'm going to read my Bible, every time I decide I'm going to pray, every time I decide I'm going to witness, it just gets worse, not better. What's the point? It might be, actually, it might be you're on the right track. 
And that the devil says, hey, God, can I mess with them? And God says, you know what? If you give him a little bit of trouble, he's going to learn some things about me he would never know without it. So go ahead, but here's how far you're allowed to go. Let it get rough on him, but, but <laughs> I know my kid. I'm not going to let it get carried away, so go ahead. And then your problems come and your tribulations arise and the frustrations come and the hurt feelings and a reason to get offended and a reason to get mad and a reason to leave and a reason to get divorced and a reason to feel hurt feelings and a reason to get bitter. And then God's sitting back going, what are you going to do with your problems? You talked real tough just a little while ago. You really criticized that other brother for quitting. Listen, listen, I was telling somebody just today. If I'd been through what that man went through, I probably wouldn't have lasted as long as he did. Talking about a preacher that's out of the ministry. Rather than saying, yeah, I can't believe that, man. Can you imagine? Like, no, wait a second. If I'd have been through what he went through, I probably would not have lasted as long as he lasted. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our perspective has got to change. God puts, allows you to have some troubles and some trials, and you're talking all tough, criticizing other people, making fun of other people. Listen, when you criticize and make fun of other people, you are an insecure, scared little chicken, and you're showing your true colors. The only reason people pick on other people and make fun of them for being weird or whatever it is is because if you ever notice some of the biggest dork, your kids need to listen to me. Some of the biggest dorks on the planet tell you you're fat and dorky and weird. Now, you don't, don't be a Christian. Don't be like, well, look at you, stupid. Don't do that. But just, just know in your head that when somebody's always got to break you down, they have an issue. A confident person, a confident person that doesn't have hang-ups can give you a compliment. Can be kind to you. Because not, you're not a threat to them. You know what I want? I don't want to be that Christian that's breaking everybody down. Most of the time, those kind of people have had this perfect little life. Because they're really not trying to go anywhere for God. They're not a threat to anything. You know, they're not a threat to the devil. They're not a threat to, they're not a threat to nothing. You understand what I'm saying? They're the perfect little Christian and they got their perfect little life. And they're just self-centered and selfish and they're going about their business. And they've never been through anything. So they're, they're empty. You, you know what I mean? They think they're the envy of everybody else and they're the pinnacle of Christianity, but they're empty. You've got to go through some things to have some compassion on people. I'm thankful that God made me work a, a secular job for years. I've seen preachers get in the pulpit on, on Wednesday night and just get mad at people for falling asleep while they're preaching. Now, if you're a regular sleeper, would you knock it off? <laughs> if you're not interested, you're not interested, it's fine, whatever. Other people are, but you know, hey. But look, I've seen them rip faces off for falling asleep after working all day on a Wednesday night and sitting down and like exhausted. Well, you little stinking punk. Obviously, you went from mommy and daddy's house to Bible college to hooked up full time in some preacher's office somewhere because of who you knew. And you got no idea what it feels like to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and still drag your hind end into church on a Wednesday night and sit there doing the right thing while the lousy preacher didn't get anything together today because he was busy gossiping all week, you know, and all the rest of that stuff and sit there trying not to fall asleep. You understand? A little bit of compassion is what I'm talking. You got to go through it to have compassion on other people when they're going through it. 
What I find interesting is Paul says this. He says, the sufferings of Christ abound us, so our consolation aboundeth. But in the verse before that, he says, we've had our tribulations that we can comfort them that are in theirs, in any trouble. Now, here's what's interesting. If it's the Spirit of God doing it in you, you don't have to know exactly what it feels like to be in their shoes. Does that make sense? So in other words, have you ever heard somebody come up to you and say, you know, start trying to give you advice about, let's say, you know, raising kids and they've never had a kid? Kind of like crickets, you know, you're like, okay, <laughs> thanks for that. You've never been there, so shut up. Yeah. Or some, you know, come up and try to give you advice on midlife crisis when they, you know, just started shaving last week. You know what I mean? Somebody try to walk up and try to tell you how to pastor a church and they've never been a pastor. They got absolutely no stinking clue. And you're like, you know, you should have done this and you should do that and you need to take care of this and you need to take care of that. And you're like, you done yet? Because you're like literally wasting your breath and I'm controlling myself right now to be gracious and kind. But when I'm done, I'm going to be done. You understand that? (laughs) Right? So when people have sense... They realize, wait a minute, I've never been through what that brother's going through, so I better not even try. And that's a mistake. You see, I just switched it on you. Because you got sense, you're going, I don't want to be that guy. But wait a second, have you had your heart broke? Have you had trouble? Have you experienced the presence of the Holy Ghost of God comforting you in that, literally miraculously? Like you're still in church. I mean, it blows my mind on a Sunday morning when I'm standing here. I know backgrounds that not everybody else knows. And honestly, folks, there's some people in this church that most of the brethren, you know, most of our stripe of the brethren would walk in and be like, where's the suit? (laughs) Look at her. But I know the story. And it shocks me that there's people in this church that are still in this church after the things that they've been through, the strength, the character, the relationship with God has got to be there. They've got to be a better Christian than their pastor. Shocks me. So listen, if you've experienced that comfort from God and you're still here, then when you see somebody else hurting, whether you've been in their shoes or not, try to be a blessing. It blows my mind. I used to dread hospital visits. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop with this first. We'll pick it up next week and we'll move faster because there won't be an introductory part. I used to dread hospital visits. You can ask my wife. I used to dodge them. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? <laughs> it's horrible. She'd be like, honey, you need to go. I'm like, well, maybe I'll get out, you know? <laughs> like, do, you, do you know why? I figured out why. It's not because I didn't care about them. It's literally because I honestly, I don't like it when I don't know what to do. My personality or whatever it is, I rarely am in a situation where I don't know what to do. I I pride myself on being able to look at the situation, evaluate it fast, make a good decision, decisions made, what's the next thing, let's go. Right? That's the way I roll. And and I never knew what to do. (laughs) And... The guilt trip kept coming and the wife kept encouraging me behind the scenes. And so I would go. I got to do my duty. It's 
It's my job and I got to go. You know what's crazy? Now, don't take this wrong. I love hospital visits today. Now, I'm not happy that people are in the hospital, okay? It's not like, is somebody going to get sick? Please, you know, it's not like that. But you know what I figured out? It was like, it was so simple. You just go. You love them. You care. You offer them a distraction for a few minutes. You pray. And you leave. And they call and say, Pastor, it was such a blessing. Thank you so much for coming. It was so encouraging. That was such a help. And you're like, what in the world did I even do? You did nothing. You just have been hurt before. You've had some afflictions. You've had some disappointments. You learn that God is good and that he takes you through your problems and he helps you in them. And then somebody else was hurting when you weren't and you went. Or maybe somebody else was hurting and you were hurting, but you put yourself aside for a minute and you went to minister to them in their affliction. And the Holy Spirit of God does something that you don't even know he's doing. And it's really a pretty, listen, we're, we just got through 1 Corinthians a while ago, right? We're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, it's about the gifts and the speaking in tongues and the showing off and the you know, singing and preaching and all this stuff, right? It's really an amazing gift of the Holy Spirit of God. When you can go to another Christian who's hurting and you can be a blessing and a help to that Christian, you can offer a little bit of comfort to that Christian when they're not comforted at all. They're looking for some grace because they ain't got no peace. They actually, like I said earlier, sometimes can't even pray for themselves because they're that much in distress, which we'll talk about. Actually, Paul defines the ministry throughout 2 Corinthians using a whole bunch of words. And I'm telling you, I think I'll, go, I'll get it nailed down, but I think it was like 30 words or more. Every last one of them, or almost every last one of them, was negative. And he's saying, in all this bad stuff, how many times have we heard in the last, what's it been now? Two years since stuff started happening around here and it was like one thing after the other thing after the... Some of you start even getting a little bit scared, a little weirded out. Like, good night, what's next? Been some hard times. You know what God does in those times? He offers a comfort and a peace from a personal relationship where you get to know God better and he's building a church. He's building a ministry. He's been building Bible Believers Church of South Lyon from the inside. It's not about all the people that have joined, praise the Lord, and about numbers we're at that we've never been at before and about additions and about being packed out on Sunday morning and overflow chairs. It's not even about any of that. It's about building you And you're still here. You're still serving the Lord. You found some comfort in him. You've grown in your relationship with him. And now he says, okay, now I think I can send them some more people that aren't quite where they're at so that they can have an opportunity to minister to them. Do you follow me? It's an amazing gift of God when you've been comforted of the Holy Ghost and then he puts you in somebody else's path who needs comfort. And you can help minister to them and comfort them. And you're doing something. You have no idea you're even doing it. You're just trying to be a good friend, 
good brother, good sister, and you've experienced it. I can't possibly, as a pastor, go through everything that everybody in the room is going to go through. So, okay, now you can come talk to me, preacher, because you've had the same cancer I have. I'm not talking to anybody unless they've had, they've been where I'm at. Enjoy your life, man. See you at the judgment. Literally, I said that to somebody recently. See you at the judgment. (laughs) You got all offended. Get out of here. Well, you can't possibly. It would kill you. You'd literally be like, you lose your mind if you had all the problems everybody else has. You've had your problems. I say it this way, and and I don't usually get a good response to it, but God has a specific medicine for you. And it don't go down very good, no matter what Mary Poppins says. Spoonful of sugar, don't help it. But it's your medicine. It's your affliction. It's your trouble. It's your problem. And you've got to drink your medicine. Because God knows his kids. He knows everything going on inside of you. Hebrews 4, right? Goes all the way down in, divides everything asunder, knows your thoughts, knows your motives, knows everything. He knows exactly, and he says, this is exactly what Luke needs. Now you've got to drink that. And that's your affliction. You've got to take it and you drink your affliction, and it don't go down good. But when it gets in there, it starts doing the job. And you find the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And God molds you into what God wants you to be. And then God sets up your path sooner or later to be over here when he's hurting and you're healed. And you'll be ministering to him, giving him comfort you learned about from God. That's why you don't quit in your afflictions. It's the ministry. Jesus told you up front, in the world you shall have tribulation. Hey, listen. If I knew everything about the ministry that I know now when I started, I'd have been a lot more level-headed and done a lot of things different, but I'd have done it anyways. If I knew how hard it'd be to, how hard it'd be to serve the Lord, I'd get saved anyways, right now. If I knew how many problems I was going to have and the heartbreaks I was going to have, I'd take them again and I'd drink them again right now. Because those problems God can use most importantly, to teach me more about Jesus Christ and get me closer to Him. But man, once that purpose is established and getting somewhere, it's awesome to see God using me to help somebody else when they're hurting. And if you ain't willing to drink your medicine, and if you ain't willing to stick it out, and if you ain't willing to do it the right way, not getting bitter, but getting better, then you'll never be used to God. And you'll never help anybody else, and you'll hurt your relation with Jesus Christ, and you'll be useless when other people are hurting. And this is what Paul's going to talk about all the way through this book. He's going to share with you all about his afflictions. And Paul was one of the greatest men God ever used in the New Testament. And he got beat to a pulp. And he was happy. (laughs) And we should be too. All right, let's go ahead and be dismissed. We'll stop there for tonight. Pick it up next week. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father,